Well, good morning, church family. Good to see you all. Uh, Jen and I spent a couple days in Pella. It was a good time. We're glad for vacation days and some of the rest that God can uh, work in our hearts through those. Uh, One thing that is very encouraging to me is meeting with other people. I have a couple uh, longtime friends from high school who I was able to meet up with, grab coffee, and uh, it was encouraging for me to see ways God has worked and is working in and through them. Uh, and something interesting about these two guys, they both were drawn together from a mutual interest of running. They did cross-country in high school, cross-country in college. One of them's out running like triathlons and winning that stuff. And they both are really decorated in those things, are really good at it. And I am not. Uh, there were a couple, well, well, multiple times where my friend, one of them, name was Josh, he he was persistent. He was like, Nick, you should join cross-country. You should do this. It's a good time. It's fun. And I never did. I probably should have. I think I would have enjoyed it. But the, the selling point that he almost got me on was just the fact that uh, they ran to Dairy Queen every Wednesday. <laughs> so that was all that, that really appealed to me. But when I do like running on occasion, the, the thing that I find keeps me, well, one thing, one thing I find keeps me from running regularly is just that if you've tried it, you know it. It's hard, right? It takes discipline. It takes time. It takes energy. We have some of you guys in cross country, I know. Uh, we have some students who do really well at that, and they're, they're probably filled with all the reasons why running regularly is good for you. It's advantageous. Maybe if you're a little older, you walk regularly, and that's kind of the replacement for that, right? It gives you good exercise. It maybe energizes you, but what? you know it's hard. It's not easy. It takes work. And uh, it requires motivation. If something's hard, it requires motivation to do it. And in Hebrews 12, we're not going to hear a TED Talk on running. We're not going to hear a reason why you should buy a treadmill or make a New Year's resolution to be more fit. But we're going to get some motivation for running the race that God has set us to do. Okay? So, Paul's going to use this, well, maybe not Paul, whoever the preacher is here is going to use this running analogy from start to finish. So, if you've got your Bibles, uh, it's time to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And while you're doing that, I'll I'll give you, it's been a while since we've been in Hebrews, I'll give you a little recap. Hebrews 11 uh, is kind of this summary, this hall of fame or the greatest hits album of God's saved sinners. It's a list of deeply flawed people who, by faith, are counted as righteous in God's sight. So that's Hebrews 11. Today we're going to be talking about Hebrews 12, and we're going to see how the, the saints of old give us motivation to keep running today. Okay. Very good. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1 to 17. It's a longer text. If you're able, please stand, and we're going to read this together. So eyes on the text. Starting in verse 1 here, Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. All right, you may be seated. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want you to use your word by your spirit to make dead hearts come alive and to make living hearts run. And if you do that, Lord, we will we will be satisfied. Lord, we love you. We want to see you in Hebrews 12 today, so please help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, folks, what a text. It's a bit, little bit of a long one, but there's a lot of good stuff in here. Uh, the first thing I'm seeing uh, to kind of break it down for us, to help us understand it, is in verses 1 through 11, I see it called a run with endurance, okay? Run with endurance, we see that through millennia, and this is the Genesis to Malachi, Hebrews 11 chapter theme. Through millennia, God has called all sorts of people to live by faith, to run with endurance, and to cross the finish line, having faithfully testified to the gospel of grace. And we can, and I think we should, recognize that there's a reason that in Hebrews the word endure comes up so many times, right? Because this is an uphill battle. And, and I want us to look at how the theme of stamina comes up. So I threw these up on the slide. We're, uh, I'm going to run through them fast. It's kind of collected for you to see. We'll look uh, first in verse 1, run with endurance, the race. Verse 2, Jesus endured the cross. Verse 3, consider him who endured so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle. You have not yet resisted 
to the point of shedding blood. Don't be weary when reproved by him. It's for discipline that you have to endure. Okay, so we kind of get this language of like, ah, uh, it's trudging, trudging, trudging through the mud, uh, moving forward, keep running, but it takes endurance. We need it. We need endurance for our joy. Uh, and how are we going to get it? Well, I think the text lays out a few reasons. Um, first, we see that Jesus endured, right? This is verse 2. He's the founder. He's the finisher, the perfecter of our faith from beginning to end, start to finish. It's Jesus, right? It's always only Jesus. From the day we're born, born again to the day we die, Jesus is the one by whom we endure. Uh, and, and maybe we have a couple Sunday school teachers here. You know, if you ask your kids certain questions, the response they just throw out there is what? Jesus. And that's like, it, it's used ironic, but how gloriously true is that, right? To say that how do we endure? Jesus. Like, say that non-ironically because it's true. It's Jesus. It's always Jesus. How do we endure? Look to Jesus. That, that's it. How do we look to Jesus? Maybe in verse 4 we get a glimpse into that. It says, we haven't yet suffered to the point of bloodshed. It's kind of a brutal answer, but... I think that's true for us. Um, Jesus did resist sin to the point of bloodshed, even on a cross, right? So we look to Jesus, the one who endured, and we endure. And then starting in verse 5, the the preacher in Hebrews spends a little more time on the fact that God loves the people he disciplines. So he, he starts to to turn, to shift gears a little bit. God loves the people he disciplines. Uh, That seems to be, uh, at face value, kind of an odd statement, right? But I think we know it's true. That The discipline isn't a malicious thing. That's abuse. Abuse is malicious. But discipline is motivated by love, and it's designed to help us grow, to help us endure. Maybe, uh, Maybe basketball coaches know this better than anyone. That was my experience. I, I remember coming home from a few practices uh, in, in middle school and high school just like ready to die because we had run so much. There was a, there's a reason it's called strength and conditioning, right? They have to get you ready for the race, for the, for the battle, for the game. I, our, our coaches would have us do these drills they called killers. And what it was, so you start on the baseline, you run free throw back, three-point line back, half-court back, and then opponent's three-point line back, free throw back, half-court back, and you do that, so that's one. We probably, I, we did like, I don't know how many times, it was like seven or something of those in a practice, and man, that'll wear you out. That's discipline, right? Like, it's a, it's a certain amount of training to help us endure, and there were games where we ran circles around the opponents because we knew how to run. So sometimes discipline is for punishment, like Nick didn't make a free throw, so the consequence of that is another killer. But other times, it's just for training. Like, before practice even starts, we're going to do seven laps around the gym so that we can be in shape. And I think what, what we see in this text is that 
God knows what we need to grow in holiness. He knows what we need to grow so that we can run the race with endurance. And he's committed to our perseverance in that. You ever think God is committed to our faith, to our faith? Like, and maybe we, we see this like the, the struggle we have in our flesh, old flesh, new, new spirit. Perhaps God is more committed to our faith than we are, right? We sing, he will hold me fast, and we, we take that to the bank. God disciplines the people he loves so they can run. And Hebrews 12 intentionally uses the word sons. Okay, notice that. Look, look in the text. So verse 5, I'll, I'll do kind of a similar uh, layout where we put them in front. Verse 5 addresses you as sons. My son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Uh, for verse 6, the Lord disciplines every son he receives. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? God is treating you as sons. Later, verse 8, uh, if you're left without discipline, you're not sons. So, get the reality that if we are in Christ, if we have been bought by his blood, if we, by faith, endure, we are adopted heirs. Jeremy preached a little bit on this last week, saying that sons, whenever we see that word addressed to an audience of people, the biblical writers aren't excluding women, they're including including women, as equals with men in inheritance of glory. How sweet is that, friends? The reality that we are adopted into God's family. So there's reality that we're adopted. There's analogy also here uh, where he draws out the picture. Where some of us, some of you may not have had uh, fathers who you well, who loved and respected you well, but some of us have, and these disciplined us like they thought was best, and we loved and respected them. And he's saying, surely our heavenly Father loves us, trains us, disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness. Okay? Oh, it's sweet. Let's make some application I think I want Hebrews 12 to, do, to first do two things. And application one is that it would shape how we think about struggling. And blessing too. Uh, here's a quote I found helpful by C.S. Lewis. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I've been meditating on this a bit this week uh, because I think he says it well and I think it says something about our struggles which we need to know. Do you notice this too? That like we might thank God, we might thank God in our happiness and joy. We might turn to God and, and look to him if we feel conviction for something, but y'all, when we suffer, we run to God, do we not? Like when we know that I've got nothing left, he's got to take it, that's when we go to Jesus. 
And, and that is good. Like first we just need to say that's a good, that running to him is a good, good thing. When we run to God in our hurt, that's both. So it's two things. It's worship because it says God is worthy. He's worth more than everything else I've got, than everything else I could pursue. So it's worship and it's witness. It's saying that look how valuable God is. More than everything else, more than my hurt, God is my treasure. It says that to a world who watches. So it's worship and it's witness when we run to God in our hurt. And I think here's, here's maybe some irony. <laughs> For the Christian, like if we are in Christ, if we are living by faith, worship is our greatest joy. Like we are most satisfied when we delight in God. That's worship. That's our greatest joy. And witness is our greatest priority because the whole calling of the Christian is to make disciples, to multiply joy for all peoples in Jesus. So, even in struggling, even in suffering, God is using that for the greatest joy, the greatest satisfaction of the Christian. You see that? We need to. Because we need motivation to keep going. Here, here's a picture. I, I don't know how good of a picture this is, but it's kind of helped me think about it. Say there's a parent who, uh, in the pool, lets their child try to tread water for a little bit. The child can't, but when the child starts to sink, the parent lifts them up. What does that do? Well, it helps the child know they can't do it on their own, and it helps the child trust that the parent can, right? It glorifies the saving one as the giver, uh, as the sustainer, and, and it shows the weakness of the child. I, I think we want to live with that sort of mindset, don't we? I want to live with that sort of mindset. So we want Hebrews 12 to transform how we think about struggle. And, and we also want comfort as we struggle. And the comfort that this text particularly describes is one of training. It says that we are disciplined to share in holiness, okay? So if we are in Christ, he is with us, and not a single second of our suffering, of our struggling is put to waste. It's all training. He is with us, though the discipline hurts and it's painful for the moment, it grows good fruit that tells a watching world, Jesus is better. That sound familiar? Jesus is better. So, I mean, my, my practical, like pastoral word for you, church, family, is don't quit, right? Church, don't quit. We keep running. When we struggle, we keep running because being with Jesus in suffering is better than being apart from Jesus in comfort, in pleasure, in happiness. Uh, there's a guy named Al Mohler who says that Christians tend to believe their major problem, like whatever they're facing, their major problem is something that has happened to them and that their solution is to be found within. And the gospel flips this, where all of a sudden, if we 
we find, and you, you may have found, if we're delivered from our circumstances but not our sin, we're not really delivered at all. But if we're delivered from our sin and not our circumstances, we have deliverance now and deliverance to come that's permanent, that's perfect, that's forever. That's good news, guys. It's good news. So, church, run with endurance. Second piece of this, uh, verses 12 to 17. I see a few commands which say, run together. Run with endurance, run together. Okay, and here's, uh, here's what we've got. Another therefore uh, in verse 12. And first we see more of the running analogy, which is like the keep your hands up, knees in, feet straight, and go. And, and that's the words he used. And then we see five commands, which have a common, common denominator, a, a single thread through them. Here they are. In verse 14, it says, strive for peace uh, with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. And 16, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Notice, so all of these, they have a, a single, like, collective view. Like, they're for us together. This isn't just for Christians doing it on their own. This is like, this is for a church. This is for people gathering to glorify the Lord. Church, I think it means if we strive for peace, if we devote ourselves to holiness, if sharing the gospel is our priority, if we're making our business to kill sin, then we will run fast and we will run faithfully. We need to do this together though. So how do we do that? Like how do we, how do we follow Jesus obeying these things together as a group? Uh, we're, we're going right into application here. I think the first part of it is taking personal responsibility. Collective obedience begins with personal responsibility. And this is, this is when we get into that little weird bit on Esau, right? Anyone, anyone read that and go, huh, I wonder what that means. I, I, it seems like it's just tacked on to the end, right? This is verses uh, 16 and 17. Uh, See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy, like Esau. Okay, what do we do with that? Well, here's what I notice about Esau. He was the, he was the heir, right? He, he was the son of one of the fathers of Israel's faith. Like, how, do we, how do we understand that? Here, here's what I see. I feel a personal, just like a personal burden for church kids in this. If you're a church kid, if you're like a kid kid, or if you're uh, a little bigger than a kid, but you grew up in church, I think this is for us. Here, here's why. Esau was the firstborn. He had the status, the position, the, the prominence, the inheritance of the family. And y'all, if we, if we have heard gospel teaching, if we sit under that week after week, so do we. Do you get that? Like, like the inheritance of this is ours, church kids. Isn't that amazing? Like, it's good. It's really good. But what did Esau do with it? He rejected it. 
And there's just this reality that we run into where if we are going to, like Esau, decide we just don't care about that inheritance and legacy and responsibility of faith, then our future, like Esau, is rejection from God's kingdom. Okay? Esau had all the cards in his hand, but he pulled out. So the application is repentance, turning away from sin, turning to obedience, and that starts with acknowledging our sin and not making excuses. So church, let's just be a people who are looking at our own hearts, who are watching our own hearts carefully, who are maybe in some, like, like, let's be, like Mark said, let's be critical of our own hearts and let God be the vindicator there and let's be generous towards others, right? If we want to collectively obey the Lord, where do we need to look? Uh, Man in the Mirror song. Maybe that's helpful here. Application two is obedience. So if the first part is responsibility, the second part is obedience, and this is difficult. No, no two ways about it. It's difficult. We need community. So uh, I, I jotted down a couple questions here. I'll read through these. If it's helpful for you, write them down. Think through them later. Or as, as I'm talking, see where you might fit into these because this is how we can obey Jesus together. Uh, in our church family, first one, how are you making peace? This is verse 14. How are you striving for peace? I think if you, if you wonder where to start, prayer for harmony, for unity in the body is a great, great place to start. How are you trying to live a holy life? This is where life groups come in, right? Youth groups. This is what we're about, providing Christian fellowship for holy living. And then in 15, how are we helping others know God's grace? How are we uprooting bitterness? As I'm looking at the text, I, I kind of see the run with endurance and run together, uh, funneling at this, this conclusion of looking to Jesus, endure in faith together, right? Like that's what it all boils down to. If you strip everything away, church, we need to looking to Jesus, endure in faith together. Two last notes. One, uh, enduring is costly. Um, we should count the cost. And, and it can be anything from like losing friends, losing a job, losing a chance, to keeping friends who are hard to love, loving those who don't deserve it, keeping a job that's difficult. Right? Like There's all sorts of application here. But enduring in faith is a difficult thing, so let's just say that as it is. But we're not going to skip the other side of the coin. Here it is. Enduring brings joy. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. By God's grace, we too will endure for the joy that it is ahead of us. You see that? 
Christian, I just love, I love, I cherish this truth that no matter how good or how bad things are on a day-to-day basis, the best for the Christian is always ahead. Do you realize that? Like, it doesn't matter how good or how bad you're doing or feeling or things around you are, the best for the Christian is always ahead. So church, let's run faithfully. Let's run fast. Let's keep running. Uh, And let's pray to that. Jesus, we have weak legs and we're called to run a long race. Uh, So we pray that you would make us strong, that you would train us for the work ahead, that you would help us to endure um, just as a as a weak church who is held fast by a mighty God. That's who we want to be. A weak church held fast and clearly held by a mighty God. So Lord, humble our hearts. Uh, we prayed that once together. We prayed again. Humble our hearts. Lord, bring us low that your grace might abound uh, to our families, to our community, to young people, to old people, to those who know the gospel, to those who don't know the gospel. Lord, we need your grace. So help us, God. It's in Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. All right. If you're able, please stand. We'll sing again.